Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Next Door podcast. Today is Monday, February 22nd. My name is Owen, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, buddy? Pretty well. I think I'm watching the end of what's been a couple weeks of a winter wonderland play out before my eyes. I had a nice snowfall coming down this morning, and the morning light was hitting it quite prettily, but that's turned to rain, and it seems like the forecast is warming up which I'm sure some people will be happy about. But if we're locked in our houses anyway, I kind of enjoyed having the uh, cold and snow to go along with it. Yeah, definitely stay off the ponds and lakes today, folks. The, those are those are risky places to be, but because you saw everyone out on them this weekend. So yeah, stay away from that. And we got some heavy snow here in London that I had to clear out before I came downstairs. And as it seems no one in my house is willing to do it. So I think your dad's uh, like work ethic just went straight into you. It's the same uh, competition between my dad and your dad always like who's going to get up and get out uh, first because whoever does that is going to be the one to shovel the shared ground on our house. And uh, my dad was saying he thinks your dad's done it about 90% of the time over the past 20 years. Yeah, well, so, I wouldn't... I I wouldn't say it's work ethic. I'd say it's his inner like tick. He's just a busybody, and if he sees it not done, he has to go do it. And I guess he just gets up earlier, or at least looks outside earlier than your dad, and that's why it gets done. <laughs> and I'm saying that's the same thing going on with you and your housemates. Definitely, uh, except uh, your dad might actually go do it, whereas my housemates will just walk through the fully piled snow. So. Oh yeah. You know, I, we used to just make a like artwork out of the dishes one of my housemates like didn't do and just see how high of a pile we could stack before they felt too guilty. We thought about putting them in their room and then realized they actually had like a fair amount of dishes in their room as well. So that would have had no effect. Oh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. So, Max, don't look now, but the Raptors are ahead of the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference standings in the NBA. They get a huge win last night. We're going to break it down just a little bit, um, along with some other NBA storylines. Follow that with some combat corner, some hockey, and then wrap up with a little bit of tennis, uh, which is on tap for today. So I will jump right into it. The Raptors beating the East leading Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, it's the 16th straight time at home that the Raptors have beat Philadelphia. Uh, and they did it on the back of some stupendous defense. Absolutely stifling. Boucher and Baines playing together and played quite well, as well as anyone can against Joel Embiid. Uh, and the Sixers went eight minutes without making a field goal and got most of their points from the seemingly unlimited free throw opportunities that they received throughout the game. I believe Embiid and Simmons both had more free throws in that game than the Raptors team had uh, before the obvious, the foul game late, late in the fourth quarter. So some great defense from the Raptors offense was really sloppy and they actually, there were so many points where they could have let Philadelphia back in this game, but some missed free throws, some miss wide open three point attempts and, and Philly just, didn't want to get back in it uh and big big win for the raptors um as they 
beat Minnesota in a tough back-to-back three game and four nights slog fest on, on Friday. And uh, the highlight of that game wasn't even the Raptors winning. Sorry. <laughs> that that was just such a sloppy game. I yeah. I did catch the, they also had like an eight and a half minute stretch without I, a field goal. I don't know when the next time we're ever going to see an 86, 81 game in the NBA ever again. Like all these games go over hundred. So just a really, an ode to the, to the eighties or not the eighties to the, to the nineties, early two thousands with that one. Um, and yeah, just the highlight of that game was Anthony Edwards sending Yuta Watanabe to the shadow realm. That dunk was absolutely absurd. <laughs> and if you haven't seen that, you got to go watch it about 50 times in all the different angles. I love Utah. He provides a ton of energy on defense and obviously you respect him. Aaron Baines right beside him is the king of getting posterized, but Hey, at least he jumped, right? At least you go challenge it. I know the dude just career ending type dunk, <laughs> at least from a publicity standpoint, but you got to respect that he at least got up there. Uh, but Hey, Raptors second hottest team in the league right now, them in Washington, both have won four in a row behind Brooklyn who have won seven in a row. And uh, they continue to fight and claw their way up the standings. And and that game last night was another one of those games that just kind of remind you of the Raptors teams of the past two years, still no Kyle. Uh, and they just managed to find new guys to, to take the spotlight, have some really key performances, like Boucher especially, had three three-pointers kind of in the first quarter of that fourth quarter, and then had an awesome block against Joel Embiid late in the game going up for a layup. And yeah, just fantastic production they've gotten from him. And Terrence Davis had a couple moments. Um, yeah, just team, different guys stepping up, and, and that's what we love to see from these Raptors. Uh Speaking of hot teams, we'll move into the later game, uh, the marquee matchup between the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, No Kevin Durant in this game, but Kawhi and Paul George in it. Uh, And those four, Harden, Kyrie, Kawhi, PG going at it was awesome. Like just a bunch of different type of shot creators all getting to their spots, all making buckets. Uh, And in the end, this game comes down to a charging call uh, against Kawhi against James Harden, who was playing some defense and Kawhi digs the shoulder in to get a layup and the refs insert themselves. I think you could have gotten away with a non-call there and just let the layup stand to tie the game, but they call offensive on Kawhi and and the Nets get to inbound the ball and play the free throw game and put it away. So a tough ending there, but you could just see that Brooklyn was, had the better shot makers down the stretch, uh, unless PG and Kawhi were on, were uh, dribbling the ball against DeAndre Jordan, who played a late into this game because of a weird injury to Jeff Green in the fourth quarter. But yeah, DeAndre Jordan inserted himself with all the stars there. He had a, a couple blocks and, and made some clutch free throws and had the game-winning tip in on a loose offensive rebound. So people have been complaining that the Nets, this is their last pieces they need to upgrade at that center position. But if DeAndre Jordan can, for even just a, I don't know, half of the games in a series, give them DeAndre Jordan of four years ago, then this Brooklyn Nets team truly is like unstoppable. Because even though DeAndre Jordan was never the best center in the league, uh, he's a guy who could throw down lobs and protect the rim. And that is all they need him to do there in Brooklyn because they got guys who can do everything else. So 
a big win for the Nets. They've now won seven in a row. They are one game behind the Sixers for first in the Eastern Conference. And slowly but surely, they're putting things together and, and getting themselves ready for a deep playoff run. So it'll be important to follow them as they continue to make their way through the season. The last games I want to talk about uh, were our Friday night games way back where we had two guys go for 50. The the MVP front runner who got a little bit stifled by Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher, Joel Embiid. Two nights earlier, everyone was saying, oh, he's unlocked a new level in the video game, puts up 50. And I think he had double digits, rebounds, uh, was close to a triple-double with assists and like three blocks and three steals. Like he just did everything. Um, and just absolutely torched his opponent that night. And But the guy I really want to talk about was Jamal Murray, who put up 50 on 80-plus percent field goal percentage, 80-plus percent from three. I think he was 21 of 25 on the night and no free throws, but he scores 50. Just an impressive shooting night. He was putting it up from everywhere, and it was just falling. Uh, and it, it was – I don't want to say it was Curry-esque because it's just not the same. No one's going to ever replicate how Curry and Clay can explode for points, but Murray for sure was one of the best shooting performances we've seen in a really long time. It's the highest field goal percentage for a 50-point performance since Will Chamberlain. So uh, pretty impressive to say the least, and the Nuggets needed that performance from him, and hopefully he can find a little bit more consistency, just the thing that we've been continuing to harp on uh, as the season's gone along. But fun to see that Murray – has at least one signature moment this season as we get further along and and closer towards the All-Star break. So just more stuff to follow in the NBA. Uh, We're looking at getting close to our our halfway report of the season. Uh, Maybe we'll get that done. But until then, keep enjoying the basketball uh, because it's been really, really great. And uh, the fans are slowly coming back in some of the buildings. So I don't know how that will affect things going forward. Yeah, I'm looking, it looks like we're seeing a bit of realignment right now in the East. So I'm kind of hoping to see that wave ride out and then we can uh, make our armchair calls on it. And (laughs) the way it's trending is uh, more in the direction of what we both called at the start of the season. So I'm like ready to call myself uh, King just (laughs) a couple more games. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of players are in play at the trade deadline. Because obviously we already mentioned there are a lot of teams that think they're in it because of these extra seeds for the play-in tournament. And so less guys available on the trade block. But definitely, you know that Andre Drummond is out there. JaVale McGee is out there, both from Cleveland. Uh, There might be a couple other guys like P.J. Tucker, others such as that, who Victor Oladipo, guys who might be on the move from some of those lower seeds. And... It depends who's in on these guys. I think Boston is really looking for a shakeup at this point. They had a tough loss against New Orleans yesterday in the afternoon game where uh, there was some great shot making from Tatum, from Ingram, and and Zion was being a bully. That was a fun one. Went to overtime. But, yeah, Boston's looking for a shakeup. They could be in on someone. If Bradley Beal is actually available, which they continue to deny that he is, but if he's available, that's a game changer for one of these teams, a Boston, a Denver. Uh, I don't know who else would be in on him, but the trade deadline is is getting closer. And 
I think if guys get moved, it's going to be over the all-star break because then that allows for them to not be playing in a game and it lowers the risk of like COVID spreading. So if you're going to move guys, you want to do it in the time when they're not playing games and maybe not interacting with, with as many people. Uh, so I think that's that maybe when we say them, see the majority of the trades go down and then we'll be able to reassess what the playoff picture looks like in both conferences. But until then, we will take a quick break and come back for some combat corner. And we're back for some combat corner, uh, a card that you weren't necessarily super uh, high on and you had already previewed the main event, which turned out to be a a goodie. So Max, break down what happened uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, I ended up watching the Leafs-Habs game instead of the prelims undercard. Just that was a little more compelling. The prelims did end up being very exciting. I think the first five fights all ended in finishes. But overall, looking at the card, there were just a lot of newcomers and not a lot of consequential matchups with the most consequential one being in what's by far the least interesting division, the women's bantamweight. So next week's card looks great. When you have like UFC card after card after card after card, sometimes it's nice to take a little break in between and just reset and i find it gets me more excited for the one coming after the reset but the main event is absolutely worth talking about Derek lewis knocking out curtis blades and the biggest upset i think in a ufc main event in five years and lewis just continues to be a living meme in how he wins fights just he, he decided to do one thing, wait for Curtis Blades to shoot and then knock him out. And it, it looked a little silly at times in the fight because Curtis Blades, like a very pressure-heavy fighter, came out, was looking for the takedown early. He makes no secret of it. And Lewis kind of stung him as Blades tried to close the distance and that made Blades hesitate. He waited. He went a little kickbox heavy and he did great he just drawing out the feints of lewis with his own uh, landed some nice leg kicks and just started piecing him up in a way where even though he got staggered at the start of the first round by the end he'd won it pretty cleanly and more of the same in the second with lewis just throwing nothing like i think he landed three punches in the first round <laughs> and uh continued to not really throw in the second and just waited blades was winning the fight on the feet which that's part of his game that has continued to evolve the wrestling is such a threat that when people focus on that it lets him get going on the striking and it was going well for him until he really just telegraphed his takedown and lewis with was waiting all fight for it and had the answer a perfectly placed uppercut no luck about this it was really he was like okay i'm i'm not going to worry about pressuring him i'm not going to worry about taking the fight to him i'm i'm not going to worry about anything other than just timing his takedown and it's almost like a meme from a manga or something where it's like just 100% focus on this thing. I'm going to do it perfectly, but that's what happened. He just, I mean, that uppercut was placed so beautifully. The shot was 
fairly telegraphed, but Derek Lewis, or excuse me, Curtis Blades is a very explosive fast fighter. And you saw against Volkov just how quickly he was able to get it. So yeah, it looked telegraphed, but in reality, Derek Lewis had half a second to react and place that. So very admirable job in he could have looked very silly after this fight if Blades had chosen not to shoot and take him down and Blades had just stayed piecing him up on the feet and won the fight on rounds like that. But I think when you're a natural wrestler with Curtis Blades, the striking is so unnatural and so forced that he can do it, but it gets uncomfortable after time and he just wants to be a fish in water and go to the grappling so even though I'm not going to do anything other than try and time a takedown makes you look silly at the end of the day, the winner is the king, the loser is the bandit, and Derek Lewis ends up with the looking like a genius coming off that. So it's kind of ironic for Blades because as he's evolving so much as a mixed martial artist and improving his striking game to the point where he is able to knock out a guy like Junior Dos Santos, piece up a guy like Derek Lewis, maybe the most important part of his game until this point is diminishing, and that would be his chin. This wasn't the first time uh, Blades has taken shots or even the first time someone's timed a power shot on his takedown. If you remember the real start of his coming out party was against Mark Hunt, I would say, and Hunt landed some bombs in that fight. And he had Blades wobbled, but Blades was just able to weather it and keep the pace going and find his takedowns and win the fight convincingly. And same thing against Alistair Overeem. Every round starts on the feet, and Overeem in particular timed this devastating knee almost the same sequence as this Derek Lewis knockout just it was an uppercut for Lewis and a knee for Overeem going back even further than that um, Lewis's first fight against Francis Ngannou that was ended by stoppage but it was a doctor stoppage because the eyes of Blade were so swollen so what I'm trying to say is Blades had this ability at the start and rise of his career to just kind of eat shots from anyone and keep going. And I think that was a big part of his success. But the longer you're in the game, the more shots you get hit with. You never know when that chin is going to go. And don't, I'm, I'm not certain on this because when you're shooting with all that acceleration for a takedown down and someone like Derek Lewis times you with an uppercut it's that's the logical conclusion but Lewis was really in the or Blades was really in the shadow realm on this one he was just unconscious on the canvas I I saw something on Reddit like Derek Lewis landed six strikes in this fight and three of them came after the knockout so those do not help I'm not criticizing you you fight till the ref stops you and if it's like the internal regret of any fighter who stuns someone and then doesn't put them away uh lewis classic lewis with the it was herb dean's fault comment right after the fight but anyway it's just kind of difficult for blades that what had brought him a lot of his success seems to be going away and you've got to think the chin's 
going to be even worse after this fight. But at the same time, I, I don't know that I can comfortably pick Lewis to beat Blades more times out of 10 than not. I mean, that was perfect execution on the game plan by him. So I do lean more towards that than I would against uh, Volkov. But I'm not, Blades is in a curious position now where he, for a long time, was just unanimously regarded as the number two contender after Nganu. But now with a loss to Lewis, he's got to be a bit set back. I think the right matchmaking decision for the heavyweight division moving forward with this match is you put Blades against the winner of next week's main event, Cyril Gan versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike, and you make Lewis versus Volkov 2 for the next title shot Um Volkov on the rise after his last two wins with Lewis also on the rise but I think well for one thing the fact that they had that first fight which ended in the most upset surprise come from behind victory makes a second fight so compelling anyway and I don't I mean I don't really see either of these guys as a unanimous contender the way I saw Blades before this fight. So the heavyweight division just got a hell of a lot more interesting with this upset. I'm very much looking forward to next week's main event, and I think the matchmaking you can do now with this shakeup is awesome. This is why mixed martial arts, the greatest sport, you just one moment can change everything in it. And... Uh, the possibilities are so much freer and so much more endless. So that's all for this combat corner. I'll be right back to talk some hockey. And we're back for some talking hockey. We don't often go south of the border on this segment, but we got a little to discuss this week. So let's lead with that. Oh, yeah, we got some afternoon hockey out uh, in the mountains between Nevada and California, Lake Tahoe. An absolutely gorgeous setting uh, for some great outdoor hockey games and had a lot of uh, us Canadian fans <laughs> thinking about what games would look like out in Lake Louise and Banff. That'd be pretty fun to watch, but we got the Americanized version and uh, some afternoon hockey take in was great. Uh, they Because there are no fans at any of these games, the NHL had an opportunity to take uh, players out and play games in this setting because they didn't have to build out stands like they would at previous winter classics at a at a stadium up north right with this they can put a game wherever they want because there are no fans and so they get this awesome backdrop of the lake and the mountains in the background and it looked really really cool uh there was a hawk that flew and landed on like one of the uh the the light posts uh just some great visuals and they were able to get some different camera angles with a uh, drone footage that were f- that was uh, broadcasting the game, and it just just looked like a fun day overall. And the weather ended up warming up, uh, so they're playing some some warm uh, outdoor hockey, which is sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, and and obviously so because the game ended up getting postponed due to the warmth and the sun and a lot of funny memes on Twitter just talking about how do you not plan for 
the sun existing and and warming up the ice. That's kind of typically how things go and uh, made the conditions really poor. We saw the couple refs, couple of players take spills and especially near the middle of the ice was virtually unplayable. And so they had to shut things down the longest intermission in NHL history. And uh, we get things back going at nine Pacific, which is well past my bedtime, but uh, again, made for, Another interesting kind of perspective of playing an outdoor game, pitch black, and just need some Molsons in the snow. Yeah, exactly. The uh, or I guess in their case, what is it like Coors Light? And uh, the uh, the Avalanche pull it out, three two victory over the Vegas Golden Knights. Big win for them uh, as they as there is a constant tussle between Vegas, Colorado, and St. Louis for the top of that division, uh, and then. Last night, the Boston Bruins explode offensively against the Philadelphia Flyers. David Pasternak with the hat trick, and they win 7-3 to three in that game. And so a couple fun games to get done over the weekend as uh, it's warming up here. So I guess they timed it right. This was at least maybe the last vestiges of, of our really cold winter month, which I'm sure the Americans are happy to see go. because Should of have hosted in Texas, I Oh, yikes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It definitely would have been cold enough. I'll say that. Uh, it'd be fun to have one in like Nunavut or something, just like absolute middle of nowhere. But uh, the fans, yeah. that's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, this was it, right? This is your opportunity to do something really, really cool. Uh, because in the future going forward, people are going to want to have fans there because they want to make they make so much money off the winter classic because they sell double the amount of tickets that a normal indoor arena would sell yeah i mean that detroit leafs one with hundred thousand fans like yeah i mean probably only probably anywhere within like a 10 hour drive or a couple hour plane ride of toronto you can pull that off and sell a hundred thousand tickets but yeah pretty epic probably anywhere in north america in other south of the border news Sidney crosby gets his thousandth game done and the penguins i think honor him right mm-hmm. having all the players come out for warm-up with number 87 jerseys and the entire team follows him <laughs> on his pre-game untie retie skate ritual yeah pretty awesome to see a lot of videos coming out from different players across the league my favorite of course was alex ovechkin's just congratulating him on his 1000 nothing nothing funny really but just you can see there's a lot of respect there and and maybe a little bit of trauma from uh some of the playoff series that those two have had but uh our version of a modern day lemieux gretzky i know people never want to compare eras and obviously gretzky is the goat but these two guys are special and definitely are the two absolute front of the page superstars for this era of the NHL and Sid the kid was the big superstar that kind of you and I grew up on. Obviously, we had our Le Cavaliers, our Brodeurs near the end, but we were just so young back then. Whereas Sid was kind of that first guy that everyone our age gravitated towards as the next big thing in Canadian hockey. And so many great memories for him three Stanley Cups, the Golden Goal, all the incredible ridiculous stuff that he's been able to pull off in his career and he would have got to a thousand if he hadn't had those concussions a couple years ago but he's there now what an incredible accomplishment and congrats Sid because yeah heck of a career he's had so far yeah so 
I mean, it seemed like he would never get to this point, uh, however many years back in time. And as much regrets as there is, like seeing what the career of Connor McDavid just starting to blossom, being like, man, I wonder when it's all said and done, Crosby's not going to have the resume he could have had when we want to go back and have those Lemieux, Gretzky discussions. It, it's a shame that we won't be able to have it at its full. But I mean, to come back from an injury like that and win two Stanley Cups is more than enough of an incredible achievement the golden goal one of my all-time favorite memories my all-time favorite hockey memory so like you said the first superstar of our generation that we got to watch as fans from start to end whenever that will be and i mean he put up three points in his thousandth game so the end's not coming anytime too too soon yeah and it definitely a guy like Across all areas, obviously, we haven't seen every player play and some of those greats from the 90s, 80s, but like Sid in his prime, some of those games, man, you could put them up against any performance from any player. He just, the when he was at his absolute top of the line play, he was utterly dominant. No one could take the puck off of him. He'd just go wherever he wanted. He had a nose for the puck. It would find him wherever uh, yeah, truly special and just like on a completely different level. And even like some of the younger kids today now who have Connor McDavid as their guy, that there's their very first like amazing superstar, or maybe here in Toronto, Austin Matthews, who's been on absolute tear. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but yeah, Sid's our guy and I'd put him up against anyone. He's just yeah. truly like one of a kind. The creativity with the willingness to behind the net with three guys on him find a way to like bounce it off the post skate out of the deeks and then either like undress the goalie or just set up a guy like through two blocked passing lanes the the skating the creativity the shot making just a perfect well-rounded player who at one point in time was without question the best in the world and it's been such a pleasure and fun ride watching the career yeah so congrats. <laughs> yeah. So some tummy sticks for Sid uh, and we'll move them along to our Toronto Maple Leafs who win the, uh, the battle uh, of the original six and improved a three and one on the season against the Montreal Canadians in a another Saturday night uh, soiree, which was again, so fun to watch these two teams go at it when, when they are playing really, really well. And, I mean, what can you say about Austin Matthews? I was talking to my dad yesterday, and I don't know if he's 100% there with me yet, but I this this is the greatest leap we've ever seen. With like not even close. You could obviously Matt Sundin, awesome. Again, he was a little bit too early for you and I yeah. when we were when we were learning it and have Phil Kessel, but like both of those guys compared to what Austin's doing right now, is he's just on a whole different level. He's got he's on a 52 goal pace in a 56 game season uh and he's already missed one of those games so 55 for him he scored two more on saturday to bring his total up to 18 and it just looks like he every night it's two for him he just can't stop scoring and it doesn't feel like anyone can stop him especially on the power play it's just automatic for him at this point it's so 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 much fun to watch him play right now yeah i mean 
what a game overall just the the back and forth that might have been the most fun hockey game i've watched this season i mean tight first period where the goalies are stars both stepping up and making saves and then both teams scoring two goals in under 60 seconds um the leafs on the five on three just too good i mean last week against ottawa they flub an entry and then just matter of time before they get set up this time i think they flub four entries but still with just a matter of seconds all it takes is one um when you have that level of talent out there it's just i mean you look at that play and you saw the defense had to make a decision it's like shit mitch marner is coming down into the slot someone needs to step up on him john Tavares is in front of the net if we don't do anything about that then like marner is just feeding it to Tavares for the goal and so you cover those two and austin matthews you, <laughs> i mean price knew exactly where that puck was going and he still couldn't get there fast enough five on three leafs too good i i feel like they might be three for three so far in the five on three but maybe i've missed a couple my favorite goal though was uh mitch marner's that the way he hid that shot under the sliding player was so filthy well yeah and then it came off of the goal after so matthew's scoring with one second left on the five on three so we get the power play and uh, Joe Thornton feeding Travis Boyd, top power play unit player, Travis Boyd, who didn't even make the Leafs out of camp. Great job by him taking advantage of his opportunity. But uh, I think Price was expecting another cross crease from Marner, who's normally a pass first guy, and he reads it well and, and picks his spot and just snipes it. Yeah, just, I mean, yeah. that, I loved that goal so much just because watching it, it was like, man, there's no way Price even saw that shot go off. Marner managed to find the hole under the sliding player for like a perfect angle on the net where you can't even really see the stick. So that was just such a high level move that I was so impressed by. Uh, Travis Boyd up and down in my books. I mean, great stuff. Uh, on the ice presence for the cross creaser but the leaf or the habs i mean it makes it a great game but it's hard to watch fire back in even quicker fashion with their two one of those off a boyd giveaway at the blue line two breakaway goals i i was a little more upset with anderson in the moment I mean, giving up back-to-back breakaways. And if you look back to that awful collapse against the Sens, they had two breakaway goals on that. So I do imagine in the Leafs practices, you've got to let like Marner Matthews just go after him again and again and again and uh, try and work a little on that. But those were incredibly placed high-speed shots. So, yeah. um, But after those two, he was huge. He, I had an absolute robbery on a setup uh, by Drewen. I can't remember who tried to put it away, but filthy uh, yeah. steal, and he was huge for all the places he needed to be throughout the game. So he, yeah, he got beat four times in this game. One of which got called back, which was a a strange one to say the least, because they put on the headsets. They initially called it a good goal, and then it got coach challenge by Sheldon Keefe and uh, they go back again to the monitors and this time it's no goal uh, and I think that's where I call very yeah. similar to the Thornton goal where the pad gets pushed across the line and 
everyone can be upset about that rule, but it is a rule and it already burned the Leafs. Funny how it burns in like three days ago, how quickly we get two instances that I haven't seen in a long time happen in the span of four days, but it goes one way and then goes the other for the Leafs and uh, they get the right call. Just they need to continue to clean it up because they had that issue with Columbus and Carolina a couple weeks ago with, uh, the video technician making mistake and them calling the goal and then realizing they made a mistake, but they don't take back the goal. They just take away the penalty for the bad coaches challenge. It's a very, very weird thing by the NHL and they need to get it figured out because as a fan or as a new fan, if you don't know what's going on, it's going to make you less likely to enjoy the game. Uh, and these replay processes are slow, tedious. And so the reason we do it is to get the right call. And so if they're not even getting the right call, then they just got to take it out completely. Yeah, it was it, it was also bizarre how quickly they came to the right call the second time around. It just, like, there was some speculation that uh, the replay booth just overruled the, the ref's video replay because it looked like the first time the refs went to the video. I don't know what they were looking for. In my eyes, it was pretty clearly that without uh, Kokkinen's stick, pushing Anderson back that puck doesn't go in the net so that's and maybe like Keith specifically challenged the call for goalie interference so maybe it was like once they just look at it through that one perspective it's clear as day but very bizarre the last note I had on this game was I'm actually really liking Kerfoot on the second line I I still don't know how you fill the hole at third line center. I, Engvall's playing decently, but I don't, I think Kerfoot still fills that role a little better. But there's some, him and Nylander especially seem to be a little more on the same wavelength. I'm just seeing Nylander find Kerfoot a lot and the break ins, like when Ker, Nylander puts on Kerfoot's stick it stays on the stick and they're able to break into the offensive zone, which was a huge part of the second line struggles. So it's looking good. I'm, I'm liking the role. I mean, Kerfoot kind of brings what you were looking for to that second line, that dog mentality, that willingness to forecheck. He's not probably Hyman or McKay of level fast, but still a pretty speedy player and he has some goal scoring talent. So You've got to figure out what you're going to do with that third line center, but Kerfoot could be the could be earning himself the permanent role on that second line if the play keeps up and just the passes keep connecting the way they have been in a way they weren't with other players. I would say the way Simmons is playing was playing before the injury. You give him a shot back on that second line once he's back, but I think Kerfoot, especially even more so than like the the dog mentality determination. He's got a little bit of that nastiness that you don't like playing against. That is a good replacement for the just sheer toughness of Simmons. And that was like the top value he brought to that second line. And so even more so than Hyman, who Hyman's going to get in there, but he's not necessarily going to chip and, and give you an extra little slash or the, the, just the nasty stuff that Kerfoot does. And I think it's a great compliment to Tavares and Nylander on that line for now. Uh, I think you might, see Galchenyuk get a shot at third line center I, I I don't know we'll see I I I'm interested to see what they're going to do going forward but right now like there's not a lot of problems they're winning games and so they don't need to 
to finick too much with the lineup. It's only when you encounter a bit of a roadblock that you might see some changes being made. But right now, they're winning, so not much needs to be adjusted. Uh, just still something to monitor going forward. And this wasn't in our show notes, but the Habs then going on to lose their next game last night to the Sens, 3-2 in overtime. So they've got a really tough schedule ahead. They're coming, they just had a week off. And I think I heard something like 41 games in 78 days or something. So not like above one game per two day pace. And they're probably, they're going to struggle. It's, I mean, I imagine all the Canadian division teams are going to have schedules paces close to that, but coming off a full week break, just having to go into that, you're going to have a lot of nights where you just had a tough matchup and then back to back, you've got to pull it out and another tough matchup against the Sens. Tighter game with the Sens out shooting them and uh, Brady Chikuk finding the goal in overtime. So no need to like sound the alarms and panic too hard yet, but the Habs one for four points in their last two you especially don't want to be i mean the Sens just seem to kick it into a higher gear against their uh closer in distance rivals the leafs and the habs but eyes on montreal for how they respond to losing the last two yeah all right we move on to uh the oilers and the flames the Battle of Alberta, which has been a little bit lopsided this week, uh, especially the 7-1 win for the Oilers in the most recent tilt. Uh, McDavid, <laughs> you have in the notes, heard the Matthews praise because Matthews been on tear. And even when you've got a guy on a different universe, I don't know, what can you say? McDavid's in a different dimension. Like <laughs> he's just playing on an, on another level entirely. Uh Natural hat trick adds two assists. He's on pace for what, like 140 points in a 56 game season. Like these are Gretzky level numbers that he's putting up. And the big thing I think is like the Oilers are on this little three game winning streak. Now they're second in the division. They've really pulled away from, from some of the teams in that middle of the pack that we were talking about with Montreal and Calgary and uh, Winnipeg still got a couple of games in hand, but the flames, man, they have lost something emotionally in that locker room. They, like the team just, it feels flat. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was interviewed and talked about how they really needed to come out in that game with fight. Cause it's a really make or break game for them. And they come out and they get beat seven to one. Like Markstrom just has been playing as well as he can, but he just looks tired. Like he's playing a lot of games and getting a lot of shots thrown at him. And there's only so much you can do as a goaltender when you're just getting peppered constantly. And this flames team, now they head here to Toronto for a couple of games with the Leafs. Of course, there's just no, no real break in the schedule for them. Uh, yeah. I don't know it, where they're going to find the motivation, but we saw earlier when the Leafs are playing them, they just, they get, discombobulated very easily emotional wise and they just need to find something to rally around right now because they are they're a team that's missing that that inner drive yeah they they had a chance down two nothing early against the oilers and then this replay was a lot more uh 
muddled there was a lot more going on it was a lot harder to track but the nhl kind of making the reverse call of the thornton cocking and no goals and count a calgary goal with questionable levels of goalie interference so 2-1 they have a chance to bounce back and mcdavid just scores not like the top cheese slickness of it not like crazy dangles but still one of the filthier goals that happened this week just with beautiful puck handling not sparing a glance at markstrom keeping the defense keeping markstrom all eyes on the cross crease and just and what can you say i mean austin matthews the best goal scorer in the world right now but Connor mcdavid the best player the the skating and the hands are just on such a different level from anything we've seen other than the prime Crosby we were talking about earlier. And these, I think this 7-1 game is not really a change in the way the Flames have been playing. It's just a change in Markstrom's ability to fill the Atlas role and carry the world on his shoulders. Um, similar levels of shots against, similar lacklusterness of the Calgary offense, but a lot of nights early in the season, Markstrom was able to keep it close and give Calgary a chance to win, which they were able to do their fair share of and struggling a little now. You, you never know when that change is going to come, if a switch can be flipped and momentum just seemingly can come out of nowhere. But the Leafs took three straight against Calgary before the only team the Leafs haven't lost to, I think yet so far, unless Winnipeg. So tough road ahead for Calgary and I'm not complaining. No complaints. They sit uh, right now. What is it? Six points ahead of the Oilers uh, and with a game in hand. So it could be eight points ahead. Obviously, the Jets have some game in hand. So worst case scenario, they're five points ahead of second place. But that's a pretty big cushion compared to some of the other leagues in the other divisions. So sitting pretty right now and and can't complain. Uh, We'll take one more break and come back for some tennis talk. And we're back for some tennis talk. We had the Australian Open decided on the men's and the women's side. Uh, Two matches that weren't necessarily the firecrackers that we had seen earlier on in the tournament, uh, but it seems like the best player prevailed on both sides. And uh, I guess we'll start with the men's Novak Djokovic winning his record ninth uh, Australian open. And he is two away from 20. Uh, We have here, he's won eight of the last 11, which is just absurd. Um, yeah, he's closing in on Roger and Rafa as another guy who can add his name. If if you're looking at the best men's player in the open era, he's definitely in the conversation. Uh, and yeah, just so lucky that we actually get to see three of the greatest tennis players of all time playing all at the same time right now. Yeah, I mean, the big, big eyes on the French open coming up now will rafa the king of clay manage to pull ahead and does he what's still left in the tank for him and it's so interesting because i mean Djokovic still a spring chicken compared to roger and nadal so however much success they have this late in the career Djokovic is ultimately gonna have a chance to catch up with it but 
yeah, I mean, he's got to be the favorite at every Australian and U.S. Open with the dominance he's had there, especially the Australian. Just absurd winning eight of his last 11. And he saved the best for last in this tournament. He dropped the last set he lost was the first set of his quarterfinal matchup against Zverev. And, I mean, you look at... uh that semifinal matchup against Katsarov and maybe the stock, but the other two top 10 guys and just straight sets. I, I don't make me wonder why I even had a second of doubt about him in the first place. Just the number one player in the world right now, too good. And with this is going to be a really interesting Grand Slam year. I mean, if Rafa can pull ahead, King of Clay, keep it up. Can Djokovic earn what would be, I think, only his second win at the French Open? Then it gets real interesting. Uh, Wimbledon, the big one, whether it's one of those two or neither will be so fascinating. Um, the, the men's legacy competition that's going on right now is so good on its own and then when you add the other 20 like phenomenal talents that are just such a fantastic high level of competition yeah definitely awesome to watch these guys go at it i think we'll see a couple canadian kids insert themselves in at wimbledon hopefully and and probably at the u.s open uh they're a bit more hard hitters so i don't know how well they'll do on clay but um yeah wrapping up the hard court tournaments in the in the upcoming month uh will be interesting to see where they position themselves as we enter the uh, long summer months of the tennis season on the women's side we have uh the absolutely dominant right now naomi osaka winning her fourth grand slam title at the age of 23 and she takes down uh, Jennifer Brady of the United States. And, and she just, she's at the top of her game right now. She looks like the next great female star uh, on the tennis side. And is on a great pace right now to get somewhere near the Serena at the end of her career. Obviously, it's really, really, really hard to maintain the level of play that Serena has done throughout her career. She's 39 now, sitting at 23 Grand Slam titles. Don't know if that'll ever be replicated in the Open era. Uh, but, hey, Osaka's on a great track, and, and congrats to her. She had a phenomenal tournament. Yeah, and then similar to Djokovic, the question is, can she translate that off the hard court into the other tournaments where she's struggled on? She had a great comment on that in the interview like the time is now i'm i'm hoping to get right back in there and i hope the french is like my first clay one which that's what she's going to need to do if she wants to even get close to matching serena's legacy which she's certainly on the right track to do so for now um i mean i think she's on like a 20 21 match winning streak right now so going to be interesting to see how far that momentum will carry but yeah I mean not a coming out party for her because I think she's already there but continuing that dominance and certainly the number one women's player in the world on hard court yeah 
hats off to her. Uh, a little bit more news from from us is uh, Bianca leg injury pulls out of the Adelaide Open and a couple of the other uh, tune-up tournaments for the hard court. Uh, and yeah, tough to see her once again miss 15 months with her previous injury. Finally gets back, starting to look a little bit like herself, and then she falls prey to another injury. She's out for another couple tournaments. Hopefully she can heal quickly and be back, but it's it's really tough to see her continue to struggle in recovery. And obviously we want her to want all the best for her, but just very similar shades of Bouchard right now. Yeah. Not, she's not following the same path of uh, vanity. I would say if that is the right word, but yeah, it's just so unfortunate that these incredible Canadian tennis players uh, have been struck down by some bad luck. And so hoping for a speedy recovery and that she'll be back in time for uh clay season and ready to kick some butt yeah i think she's eyeing a return in mid-early march and it seems like just a tactical decision this early in the tennis season doesn't want any wear and tear that's going to accumulate so hoping to jump into clay season and the intense summer as fresh as she can and i don't know i mean that similar decision making with her last injury like she could have rushed back sooner but chose to wait play the patient game you just hope that's going to work out and that when she does come back she's physically fresh and her game isn't rusty i mean incomparable in the size of the two layoffs but yeah something about canadian women's tennis seems to be a little cursed at the moment i mean with one Grand Slam, she's already, I guess, outmatched Bouchard, and that's always going to be huge for her. But just the potential you see in her is like a top mainstay at the women's decision for a long time, which is what people were saying about Jeannie at one point. And so just to hear the similar comparisons and then see this injury is like, you you can just see the potential for the tracks heading in a direction you don't want to think about if you're a fan of Canadian women's tennis. So, yeah. yeah, the other thing I'd say is Bianca's just so young. I think she's 20, 21. Uh, and so she's got a lot of time to get back on her feet and not even anywhere close to her prime. So hopefully we'll see her on the court sooner than later. For sure. Just the inj- the early injuries are troubling in, in all sports. When you see a career start off like that, there's too many players to name that have just the injuries happen and then they don't get back for a while and then it's never quite the same after. So I'm, this is a one month less, I think, layoff, but you don't like to see a return to injury so quickly. No. All right, this is a bit of a shorter one on this Monday. Uh, I have to run shortly to give a presentation on the health and wellness industry, if anyone is interested about that. Uh, But we do have some exciting sports action uh, on the docket for this week. UEFA Champions League continues. Uh, Lazio and Bayern Munich on tap. Atletico Madrid and Chelsea tomorrow as well. And then on Wednesday, we've got my favorite soccer team name, Borussia Mönchengladbach, going up against Manchester City. 
Uh, should be fun to watch some of those games. Obviously, Real Madrid will be playing sometime this week as well. Uh, and then other news, the Toronto Blue Jays and spring training are back on the 28th. So this Friday, maybe have a little bit of a preview. Uh, we're not close enough to the season yet for me to really dive into the details. Pitchers and catchers are down in Dunedin and uh, Alejandro Kirk has lost quite a bit of weight and looks really great. And I'm excited to see what he can do this season after a great uh, debut couple games as, as a offensive mind catcher for the Blue Jays. Um, and they'll kick off their spring training against the Yankees next Sunday. So looking forward to be talking some baseball on Friday. And, and that's pretty much it for me on the sports side. I'm Max. I don't know if you have any more storylines you want to touch on. No, I mean, excited to continue to follow the hockey, see if the Raptors can continue their surge. I mean, wins over the four teams ahead of them is a little encouraging, just a question of consistency. And I'm very excited for the UFC on Saturday, so looking forward to breaking that down Friday. Some Just the way Corona has gone for the UFC, UFC certain matchups, like it's not an injury pullout, so they can reschedule them quite shortly and some cards are just going to have all the luck in the right matchups piling up on them and next saturday is looking like one of those to say too soon to say for now because half of those fights could get yanked again in the next week you really never know with vegas but right now ufc saturday is looking great looking forward to previewing that friday awesome should, yeah. be a, should be a good pack show on Friday, hopefully. And I uh, want to thank everyone for listening once again. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you. We're everywhere. Uh, you can find us in terms of podcasts. Share us with your friends. Let us know what you think. We're on Instagram and, and Twitter. Uh, yeah. Thank you, each and every one of you, for listening. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the last of the winter. Sports Next Door signing off.